0: So hi, this is Angela Treat Lion, and you are listening to Daring Dreamers Radio, brought to you by EFTbooks.com. That's our sponsor for today. And you can find us at IDareYouRadio.com, where we bring you massive inspiration, powerful support, and uncommon resources for you daring dreamers who dare to dream it, dare it, and do it. Today I have a very daring person for you. I just found her a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just delighted to have done so, because I have a specific problem that you will find out about, and a lot of other people do too, that she's going to talk to us about, and I'm excited about it. Her name is Dr. Miranda Jorgensen, she's a health and weight loss strategist. She started out in anthropology. Chiropractic Care, Functional Medicine, Nutrition, and Self-Improvement, and she helps people with chronic health issues or stubborn fat, and she helps them find simple solutions that act as a roadmap to help them improve their lives. She also acted as a physician advisor to a large physician-grade supplement company for six years and has had numerous articles published in DC product reviews, chiropractic economics, and the The original internist. She's the author of two physician references. That this is quite a title: the drug-induced nutrient depletion index. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) And the ridiculously easy way to introduce nutrition and evolve your practice to the next level. So this gal is no slouch, and I am really pleased to be talking to her because. She's currently writing a book on weight loss for people who no longer have a gallbladder. This is is what I'm struggling with. So I'm really excited to be talking to you today, Dr. Miranda. Thank you so much for being my guest.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here.
0: Well, you know, I have to admit, I'm doing this entirely for selfish reasons today.
1: (laughs) The best time sometimes.
0: (laughs) We've but I I think that your information is so important that I wanted to make sure that everybody heard you. So let's talk about this. What are some of the main complaints that people who have no gallbladder have expressed to you, and what do you do about them?
1: Well, you know, typically, um, people that no longer have a gallbladder or they have a gallbladder but it's dysfunctioning, um, there's a certain spectrum of issues that they'll complain about. You know, they'll have um, a lot of indigestion, they'll have a lot of fatigue, uh, they'll feel unmotivated, they'll have poor immune function, they'll frequently get sick, they might have ligament issues. But the thing that you hear time and time again, is that they've kind of had this runaway weight gain since they've had their surgery, or they have almost like a complete inability to lose weight. And um, so that's that's why I've done the the writing that I have, and that's, that's how you found me. Well, you're absolutely right
0: about that, because I think I've gained probably 40 million pounds since I had my gallbladder out, and I feel like a giant jelly roll walking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> and I found your Facebook group, which is fabulous. What do you have up? say so you've got about six thousand women on there,
1: mostly all women. We we let in the few, you know, we let in the odd man, but it is mostly a female-driven group. Um,
0: <laughs> you have the token man in there once in a while, huh? <laughs> you
1: know, we we try not to discriminate, but you know, when when you're dealing with gallbladder issues, they, you know, physicians will always call it the 4F syndrome, and it's females, they're fat, they're flatulent, and they're forty. And you know, and that's the, the the four things that they'll they'll whip off on their fingers, and and it just goes it goes hand in hand with gallbladder dis, dysfunction. But it's kind of ironic that you know it's known as the four F syndrome, but 87% of men and 68% of women will all experience weight gain after they've had their gallbladder removed, and it's one of the few symptoms that hardly anybody is ever told about eighty seven percent of men yep that's Staggering. more than that's more than the women it's more than the women, but yet it's always referred to as a female issue well, well gee, thanks a lot <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my God, okay, so what have you found that helps with this problem
1: there's there's a few things that I think that people can do on a regular basis. You know, first and foremost, I believe that people need to concentrate on eliminating nutritional deficiency. And that's imperative anytime you want to move your body out of that starvation mode that happens when you're not properly digesting fats. And I might need to back up a a little bit for your listeners um, because I know that's terminology that we frequently use uh, within, within my group, but that's not a concept that a lot of people might be familiar with is your gallbladder is, you know, it's a little, you know, three-inch organ that's underneath your liver, and it essentially acts like a little reservoir to collect the bile that your liver produces. And your liver produces, oh, gosh, it's 35, 37 ounces of bile a day, and your gallbladder concentrates it down to just a couple of ounces, so it makes that, that constant supply of liquid bile very, very thick and caustic, and, and that's, how, um, that's why it's so potent in dissolving your fat. And so when your gallbladder no longer works or you've had gallstones and they've removed it, your liver's still making that bile and it's dripping into your intestine, but it's never concentrated enough to digest the fats that you need. And so when you're not digesting those fats, your fat-soluble vitamins and your essential fatty acids, your body essentially goes into like a starvation mode because it realizes it's not getting any fat, so it thinks it's starving. It wants to hang on to all the fats it has. That's why you tend to gain weight. Isn't that a dirty trick? (laughs) Not very fair, is it? (laughs) And, you know, and it's
0: true because there's, you hear people with the gallbladder out who are overweight, and they will say when they're hungry, they don't say, I'm hungry, they say, I'm starving.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they don't feel satisfied when they eat, which is which is another sign of exactly what you've described. And so, you know, I think that with these nutritional deficiencies, uh, the only way you can get around that is to use some dietary supplementation. And, you know, I have a few different supplements that I like, but primarily I will supplement with pancreas lipase and organic beet extract and ox bile. And those three things help to essentially replace some of the action of what your gallbladder should do so you can digest those fats again. Because one thing you'll notice is that when people get their gallbladders out, they're frequently told, they're either told one of two things. They're told just to go and have a eat whatever you want, do whatever you want, pretend like you never had a gallbladder, or they're told to go on a low-fat diet because the fats are going to aggravate them and give them digest issues, I'll put that politely. <laughs> um, and so if you can improve the digestion, you're going to reduce those side effects, and you can move them out of that scarcity mode, so that their body can actually start releasing fat again.
0: So with the proper supplementation, does that make it so that your digestion works better so that you can assimilate your food into your system better? Absolutely. And what were the three supplements you said?
1: Typically I will use, it's actually it's one supplement, but it contains all three ingredients to keep it easy. But the ingredients are pancreas lipase, organic beet extract, and
0: okay, and I think that we should tell people that you have that on your website.
1: I do. I have everything. I've got more information on the website. You can click through and, and read all sorts of articles and on there. And then anything that I will typically talk about to any great detail is also available there so you can read about it.
0: Okay, so your website is dot Correct, correct okay so let's spell that out m i r a n d a miranda jorgensen j o r g e n s o n dot com and you know i'd like to suggest that anybody who's interested in this go to miranda's facebook group it's weight loss resources with dr miranda it's a really supportive group and i'm in there you know, every day looking at it and looking at comments and lurking and <laughs> seeing what people are saying and sharing. It's it's a really wonderful um, Facebook group. So, uh, you know, I want to thank you for having that because that was what turned the corner for me in finding out about this. I've, you know, for six years now, I've been struggling with this, thinking, my God, isn't there anybody out there who has any knowledge at all about this? And hallelujah, there you are. So thank you. <laughs>
1: Well, I know how frustrating it is, and I have my groups because I've dealt with my own health issues, and my own health issues is actually what led me to become a doctor in the first place because I wasn't satisfied with what I was told in the mainstream medical community. Um, And I think a lot of people are in the same boat, is that you kind of get steamrolled into some of these procedures and nobody ever gives you um, basically informed consent. You know, they're they're not giving you all of the information up front, uh, they're just telling you you need this procedure, and you have no idea what to what to expect when it's done and dusted, or how it's going to impact your life long term. You just think, yeah. oh, you know, it's it's a problem organ. We're going to cut it out. Um, you know, I'm of the belief that we were not really designed with unnecessary parts. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just throw this in just just because, right? <laughs> So, you know, I always find it funny when, when you know, you, you watch some of these medical programs or you, you speak to, you know, different physicians and they're like, ah, you know, no one needs the appendix and no one needs the tonsils and uh, it's gallbladder, it's useless. And, and you're like, well, I kind of think it's important, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you know, on that line, I just read the other
0: day that they found that the appendix is a reservoir for the good bacteria in your system so that if your body runs out of it, it can squirt it into your intestines.
1: Yes, yeah, so that they only identified that about two years ago. So you figure for how far we've come, all these advances in science, you know, it was it's only been in the last decade that we figured out what the appendix was for. And God, you know, it feels barbaric, doesn't it? It kind of does, but when when you look <laughs> at it, you know, I read a, a fascinating book several years ago, back when I was working on my first degree, and it was saying that most of the surgical advances that we currently use were all developed in the civil, the American Civil War, so back in the
0: 1860s. Oh my God!
1: That statistic just blew me away. It was kind of enlightening but that was the golden age of surgi- surgical advancement in technology.
0: Oh, that's just really frightening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's why, you'll notice in, in my groups, I always um, I always tell everybody you are your own best health advocate.
0: Oh, well, I'll tell you, I believe that now. I, I mean, when I had my gallbladder out, I asked them, you know, do I need to change my diet? Do I need to do it? Well, before that, Before when I went in, dying of excruciating pain, they were in total panic mode. Said, "You've got to have it out. You've got to have it out, or else you're going to die." Nobody had even mentioned the idea of cutting it open and removing the gallstones. I don't even know if that's possible, but it came to me afterwards. Why didn't they do that? And then afterwards, afterwards, they I asked, "Oh, good. That's nice. (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys." And then afterwards, I said, should I change my diet? Oh, no, just go ahead and eat whatever you were eating before. And then I immediately gained 40 pounds. I mean, within two months. It was like instant drop in from the gods. Sure, Angela, have 40 pounds. Spread it around, you know. <laughs> just, just what you needed. <laughs> oh,
1: man. No, it's it truly is frustrating because they fully recognize that cholecystectomy is the, pretty much the number one performed procedure in the United States, and it's also the one that they find to be the most unnecessarily performed medical procedure in the United States. So they remove over half a million gallbladders in this country every single year, and when they oh go in, there, they find that less than 20% actually were infected and should have been removed. <gasps> that is criminal. But it makes a lot of people a lot of money, so <laughs> that is it, just criminal. Uh, the, uh, yeah. Less than twenty percent. That was the most recent uh, statistic that I read. Yes. Wow, and they can cut it open and remove the stones. They can. Some some of the more progressive doctors are doing that now, but um, you know, a lot of people they just are of that old mindset and they're just take it out. You don't need it and. I think they forgot that day in medical school when we learned all about fat digestion. Wow. What's more aggravating is that the gallbladder isn't a standalone organ. You know, it works in conjunction with your liver. It works in conjunction with your pancreas. It works in conjunction with your intestine. If you have uh, glucose or insulin dysregulation, that is going to affect. You know, everything is so intimately intertwined. Um, You know, there's even a correlation that if you've developed gallstones, at some point in your life you're far more likely, you're about 40 to 50% more likely to develop kidney stones. And they don't know why there's that correlation, but they know that it exists. So when when you go in there willy-nilly and you think, okay, well, just life goes on and just don't do anything different, you're still setting yourself up for future health issues. Oh, boy. So... Besides the
0: supplements, what else can a person do about this and, and how to keep in balance so that these awful other things don't happen?
1: I think that a couple of the other things that people need to do is they need to increase their magnesium intake, you know, eat uh, magnesium-rich foods. If you are a bath person, start using Epsom salts in your bath so you're absorbing, you're raising your blood serum levels of magnesium. Increasing that magnesium is, is very important. Another thing to increase on a dietary basis is your intake of taurine-rich foods. You know, taurine, it's one of the major amino acids found in bile, um, and your healthy digestion depends on getting adequate supplies of taurine. So eating meats and eggs and seafood, uh, certain dairy products, brewery yeast, all of those are good sources of taurine. And probably the most important thing is that you continue to eat healthy fats you know a lot of people are so afraid of fat after they've had their gallbladder removed because it's been their experience if they eat something fatty they're going to be running to the bathroom in short order but your body needs fat in order to lose fat and if fat digestion troubles you you need to start slowly with small amounts of unrefined organic coconut oil uh, or other healthy fats like olive oil flaxseed oil some fish oils, you know, just add them slowly and in small quantities to your diet and let your body accommodate to them. And especially if you're taking the products to help you digest better, you're going to start absorbing those nutrients. You know, when you look at... Vitamins A and D and E and K, you know, they're used for your immune system, your bone health. You know, uh, vitamin D is a pro-hormone, mm-hmm. so it's, it's used for all sorts of uh, production of all sorts of different hormones in your body. And so if you slow down that production and that absorption, you create this cascade of negative effects. So you really, you don't want to, you know, essentially throw the baby out with the bathwater, and just say, you know what, I don't have a gallbladder, I can't digest fats anymore, I'm not going to eat any fats, because it's just going to fast-track you down that path to more chronic health issues. Hmm. That doesn't sound like fun. Well, now, you you didn't mention butter. Should we eat, should we be eating
0: butter, I hope?
1: I, I do. I love butter.
0: <laughs> I had to add that. that that's my... Addiction of choice. If, if I were if I were an addict, that's what I, you know, it's if you melted me down, I'd be 90% butter.
1: <laughs> you know, butter, especially if you get one of the grass-fed ones, um, is very high in CLA, and that's a conjugated linoleic acid, which actually helps target abdominal fat. So, so butter is a great thing. What
0: do you mean it helps target belly fat? How does it do that, and what's it do?
1: The CLA helps your body to trigger the release of the fat that you have stored in your abdomen. So when you are trying to burn or target abdominal fat, increasing your daily intake of products that contain CLA, like butter, um, actually help you achieve your goals. Boy,
0: is that counter to what people are telling you now or what?
1: (laughs) Well, if you've noticed, all of the – we just should have listened to Grandma – you know, because, you know, first, you know, grandma told you eat your butter and eat your eggs and eat everything in moderation and just don't be a pig about things. And grandma was right because after that you got people that came in with this food pyramid that we've now found out is backwards. They, you know, they're telling us not to eat eggs and to worry about cholesterol and to, you know, do all of these things that 10 years down the road we find out are completely wrong. So we just should have listened to grandma because grandma had it right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Awesome. I love that. Thank goodness. (laughs) Let's talk about you for a minute. I'm curious because on your bio, it says that you have a background in anthropology and chiropractic care. How did you come to be a doctor from being an anthropologist?
1: Well, that was my first degree, and I always tease. I went from studying old bones to new ones. I think it was a very good connection because anthropologists at their core are generalists, They're trained to look at the big picture. You know, they have to be specialists in all sorts of different areas so that they can determine or extrapolate what the situation was based on little itty-bitty findings. You know, if you're finding little bits of pottery or shells or shards of bone or something else, you've got to take all those little things and put together what really happened here however many thousands of years ago. And I think that chiropractic is very much the same way is that you're you're taking a little bit, you know, you're taking standard diagnoses, you're taking alternative medicine, you're combining all sorts of different things to look at the big picture to diagnose somebody and, and come up with a game plan for them. So with, you know, with that anthropological background, I'll often look at things from an evolutionary perspective and say, okay, well, this is why I think we need a gallbladder, or this, you know, this is why I think this is going on, or this is why we need to eat red meat, or you know, whatever whatever the situation might be. But I do think the two go hand in hand quite well.
0: Well, that's pretty fascinating. I really like that. So you you have kind of a different view of things than the, than the Newtonian doctor or physician. Everything's made out of mechanical parts, and you can take one part out and not replace it.
1: I do, and probably especially so because, um, you know, you and I have several interests in common, and, you know, one one of those is obviously the whole emotional, spiritual uh, aspect of things, which I think is so important because medicine likes to think that everything starts in the physical and trickles down to the spiritual, um, whereas I think a lot of people that are consciously working on themselves and working on self-improvement, we like to think of it the opposite way, as a lot of our problems start in the spiritual and trickle down to the physical.
0: Yes, I totally agree with that. And that was one of the things that struck me about your Facebook group was was that you weren't just totally being antiseptic doctor mode. You were in human mode. <laughs>
1: Well, I try, you know, and I certainly, I certainly don't want to convey that I'm anti-medicine because I think I'm, I'm far from that. I think there's a time and a place for everything. Um, I just don't think that, you know, your first step should be surgery if there's a whole bunch of things you could have tried before that. And when it comes to weight loss, even though. I tend to have a lot of ladies in the group that don't have a gallbladder. There's still plenty of people in there that do, and you know, one of the biggest hurdles with weight loss is what's going on upstairs. It's your whole your whole emotional aspect, um, because yes, you know, we know that there's physical, and we know that there's dietary influences, and we know that there's hormonal influences, but the emotional aspect is crucial for a lot of people, and you know, and there can be a there can be a whole plethora of reasons behind that.
0: Oh, are you telling me that what I think affects everything in my life?
1: <laughs> Maybe
0: <laughs> and so what kind of modalities do you use to help people with their uh, emotional mental things? Are you using e f t
1: um I don't personally um I know how to do it. Um, my mother can actually do that she she is very well versed and trained in using e f t I try to point people in the right direction because I can't be everything to everybody. But if I can direct them and say, look, at try EFT or try hypnosis or try having a gratitude journal or try praying over your meal before you eat, uh, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different things that help put you in the right mindset um, that mm-hmm. can help. You know, for some people that might be dowsing. For other people, you know, that might be tapping. Everybody is going to be a little bit different because it all depends on what your core values are and what resonates with you. But at least if somebody gives you some options, you can think about it and chew it over and think, okay, well, this option resonates with me. I'm going to give that one a try.
0: Mm, that makes a lot of sense.
1: You know, you made me
0: think of something when you said, pray over your meal. I, I attended a dowsing conference many, many years ago, and it was a three day conference. And we had these community meals. And there was one meal where we were sitting there and there was a, I can't remember what order he was from, but he was a priest. And he would sit there at the beginning of each meal with his hands held over his plate and he would silently say this really long prayer. And at one meal, I was sitting next to him and my friend, who's a psychic, was sitting next to me and... She was very curious to watch him, and and after he was done, she said to him, you know, I'm wondering what you actually said in your prayer, because at a certain point, your food lit up, just like it was being lit up from within. And so he said the prayer out loud, and at a certain point, she said, the food lit up again. And so she said, what did you just say? And he said, made us food bless me and my system. It had nothing to do (laughs) with the prayer part (laughs) at at all. It it was just simply, you know, let this food bless me and my system. And and I just thought that was so cool. I mean, anybody can just say that over their food and and have their food energized. I
1: I mean, isn't that a neat thing? Sometimes it's the simplest things are the most fascinating solutions. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and he was all into the whole religious thing, thinking that that was what was making the, you know, the blessing. And she said, "No.
1: <laughs>
0: the critical part of your prayer is just that one simple phrase."
1: Yeah, you know, the the universe is far more complex than than you and I will ever understand. So I think we just have to sometimes sit back and enjoy the ride.
0: <laughs> yeah, enjoy the simplicity of it, which is kind yeah. of a conundrum.
1: Well, now, you're a daring person. You've
0: done a lot of daring things in your life. What is one daring thing, you know, out of all the daring things you've done, what is one particular daring thing that you've done that has enabled you to be the person you are today?
1: Well, I truly think that the most, you know, this, we we've certainly done some crazy things over the years. Um, But way back in 1997, my husband and I sold everything we owned, and the only things that we didn't sell fit inside a little uh, four-by-eight-foot U-Haul trailer, and we packed up. We were living in northern Ontario in Canada, and we we drove to Texas, and uh, we started a journey. We moved to a whole new country, and we were far away from friends and family and anything that was familiar And um, you know, watching TV, you'll notice on Unsolved Mysteries, everything always happened in Texas, so it was kind of a scary venture. But um by doing so and, and by starting the journey to become American and, and everything that's entailed because now, you know, I'm raising three little Americans, um, you know, it's it's opened up such a world of opportunity. You know, and any anybody that has any doubts of the United States being the, the land of opportunity, you know, they they obviously aren't opening their eyes because it's been such a blessing for our family being here. Isn't that amazing? So what what
0: is different about the opportunities in Canada from here? I mean, why why were you able to thrive here and not there?
1: Oh, I, how do I say this and be um, politically correct?
0: Oh, never mind that.
1: Yes, yes. It's, <laughs> I just think there's a lot more opportunities here, and America is much more versed and open to people opening businesses and succeeding in business. Huh, I am amazed. We consider ourselves very fortunate to have been able to come here because I know that, you know, coming to the United States is a very tough venture for a lot of people. And, you know, it took us 11 years to get our green cards and then another five so we could get our citizenship. It's not come easy. It's certainly not been handed to us. We've had to trudge through and, and fight every step of the way. But, oh, it's been so worth it. Wow. I think having our kids here, it's just opening up such a world of opportunity for them as well. Huh. So, it, why did it take
0: 11 years to get your green card? Were you sponsored or, or did you just come over willy-nilly?
1: No, we we came originally on student visas. And we actually we did our chiropractic education here in the United States and then we started on a work visa and then we eventually had an employer that sponsored us and and it's just it's very difficult and there is some bilateral trade agreements between the United States and Canada to slow down what they refer to as the brain drain because a lot of uh, professionals, doctors, lawyers, nurses have moved to this side of the border. And so they make you have to jump through several more hoops. I'll be darned.
0: Well, that's really interesting to know. So let me see now. Do you have any tips or tricks or uh, anything that you want to impart to people some particular wisdom before we sign off?
1: Well, I'm I'm always coming at with body hacks and different things for for people to try because I think that's that's half a life's battle is that you never quit trying. And you know, I, I posted one just the other day of a study that found yes. if you ate your carbohydrates at the end of your meal as opposed to interspersed throughout your meal, it had a thirty seven percent less effect on your blood sugar levels. And I personally think that maintaining and balancing your blood sugar levels is one of the most crucial things you can do for your health. So along that line, you know, there's all these little body hacks, and it's just a matter of keep trying them and try the ones that, that work for you. And anybody is welcome to join Weight Loss Resources and have a look we've got a ton of those little hacks you know i put them out you know as as frequently as i find them for people to try because there are a little tricks that just make life easier because you know it's it's not a race to the finish line you know we just we want to we want to live better and it's and it's about living healthier you know it doesn't matter to me what weight people are as long as they get, reach their happy weight and you know when people reach their happy weight that's usually when they're at their healthiest and ultimately, that's the most important thing. It's just finding that place in your life where you are happy and healthy.
0: Oh, well, that's great. I, I'm I'm interested so much in your what you call body hacks because the other day you posted some bone broth soup recipe, didn't you?
1: Yes, I sure did.
0: That looks so good. I don't, I don't have a crock pot, so I'm going to have to go down and get one. But it, it looked, you know, it made my mouth water. <laughs>
1: You can do it with the crock pot, but you have to babysit your stove a lot more.
0: Well, that's what I don't want to be doing, so I'm just going to wait. So, what is the benefit of bone broth? What, what's so good about it?
1: Well, the, the bone broth, primarily while you're taking while you're taking it, is because you're cooking down those bones and all of those amino acids and um, proteoglycans. And everything that's in those jointy connective tissues, getting out the collagen and all these rich amino acids, uh, and your, your body uses that as building blocks to repair itself. You know, I, I think we can take several pages from veterinarians. I treat allergies the way veterinarians treat allergies. When I look at something like bone broth, you look at how uh, veterinarians that deal with um, people that feed their pets raw, if you feed your pets just muscle meat all the time, they very quickly become sick but if you feed them lots of those gristly joints and lots of organ meat uh, in balance with the muscle meat, they maintain a much more ideal health situation. And since World War II, our diet has become very sanitized. We want all these perfectly cut steaks that are all trimmed. Um, and if if you remember our grandparents, they used to fight over who got the gristle. And, and you know, people used to sit there and, and literally chew the fat and chew the bones. And, and you know, there's nutrients that are key, important nutrients in those tissues that we're missing out on when we're just eating standardized New York strip steaks and, and things that just look really pretty in a little package but aren't how we really should be eating them as close to nature as possible. Mm.
0: Not to mention that the fat and the gristle tastes good.
1: Well, it tastes good and it's good for you. You're not going to just sit and just eat gristle, but if there's a little bit in the meat or if you're eating some of the, or if you're cooking meat on the joint, you're getting those beneficial compounds into your diet. I think that a lot of our chronic health issues all tie back to nutritional deficiencies because we just don't eat the way our ancestors ate. Well, I think that makes sense. Well, what about a vegetarian? How do they get
0: that those amino acids and good things that you're talking about?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one group I can't wrap my head around it. I always have to refer vegetarians out to to somebody that really specializes in that diet because I can I can help anybody. I can I can swim circles around people that want to know all about the nutrition of value coming from animal proteins and how it all works. But uh, I I don't understand wholly how people can get everything from a vegetarian diet.
0: Well, that's honest. It's
1: not. It's not the necessarily the PC answer, but it's <laughs> it's the one we're well, with. Well, you know, it's it's real.
0: I mean, my goodness. You know, if you don't know, you don't know, and it, there's no faking it, for heaven's sake. So let's go back to the gallbladder thing here. What if somebody is suffering gallbladder issues? What what is your first advice for them?
1: If they're suffering gallbladder issues, you know, first and foremost, they need to go and see a doctor. You know, they need to get it checked out. Typically, um, there's a few things that they're going to do. They're going to... Run certain tests. You know, they they usually check. They'll do some blood tests. They'll check liver function. They'll check your white count. You'll, they'll do an ultrasound. Depending on the ultrasound, if they see stones there, they might do a HIDA scan, and that's to see if there's any functioning left in the gallbladder. But I want to caution everybody because when you get trolling around online. You see all this stuff about gallbladder flushes, and I want to caution everybody in your audience, don't do a gallbladder flush. I think they're dangerous. They truly are. You know, most of these gallbladder flushes are telling people to drink, uh, you know, copious amounts of Epsom salts and, and drink, you know, cups of uh, olive oil and, you know, that they're going to end up having explosive diarrhea with all these gallstones. Well, they're not having gallstones. They're not passing gallstones. What they're doing is they're actually passing saponified balls of oil And um, what they can do by doing some of these cleanses is actually dislodge some of the stones that they have and make themselves a candidate for emergency surgery. Because if they uh, dislodge a gallstone into the common bile duct and it gets stuck there, then you are having surgery. Whereas if you had gone to your doctor and got the appropriate tests and and checked to see if your gallbladder was still working, there's at least a chance you can save it And then we can do some things to thin the bile and make the gallbladder work better. But um, I think those flushes are downright dangerous, so I certainly would want to caution people against that. Oh,
0: I'm so glad I asked. I've seen those, you know, little booklets on Amazon
1: saying, you know, don't have your gallbladder removed, do this flush instead, you know. (laughs) I'm not against medicine, by any means. (laughs) and I will toe the standard allopathic line probably more often than not, but at least that way I can give people appropriate information that is scientifically sound. Well, thank you for that.
0: All right. So, you know, this has really been fun. I've really appreciated the information that you shared with us, and I want to encourage people to go to com and find out about the supplements that Dr. Miranda has and read her articles because she's got some really good articles on there, especially about gallbladder. And uh, join her Facebook group if you're on Facebook, Weight Loss Resources with Dr. Miranda.
1: And you're going to be coming out with a book soon, aren't you, about the gallbladder? We hope that it will be rolled out by the end of this year.
0: Hallelujah. That's awesome. All right. Okay. So once again, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's really been a pleasure, and I'll see you on Facebook. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Okay. So this has been Angela Treat Lyon on Daring Dreamers Radio. I hope you've enjoyed today's show with Dr. Miranda and gotten some information and inspiration And I implore you, please, to be audacious, audacious, outrageous, bold, and as alive as you can possibly be, and we'll see you on the next show.